Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hi, I'm Camilo Patrignani, CEO of Greenwood Energy. One way to keep you constantly up to date on what's happening in Latin America Solar is by listening to this Suncast with my friend Nico Johnson. Hey there, and welcome to episode four of Suncast, the only podcast dedicated to solar professionals in Latin America. My name is Nico Johnson. I'm your host, and I'm really grateful that you're joining me today for our weekly conversation with solar industry experts and thought leaders. I believe that personal connections coupled with in-depth market data is the most effective way to stay ahead of the trends. Whether you're listening on your commute or your lunch break, it's my hope that this show gives you the tools, insight, and resources to lead the solar revolution in Latin America, the fastest growing solar market in the world. And it's my commitment to deliver that value to you every Tuesday morning, in time for drive time. I draw from my own personal experience over the last decade working in solar and in Latin America, digging up the timeless truths and lessons learned along the path with some of the most experienced folks in the biz. Hey, here's a big virtual hug to all you who've reached out in person or online. From me to you, I can't say thank you enough. Your encouragement and even more your feedback really helps me know if the show is connecting or where I might want to add or edit content, so do keep it coming. I'd like to hear your thoughts on the show thus far. What do you think? You can shoot me an email to nico at mysuncast.com, drop a line on the website, tweet at Nico Mayo, and many of you have already reached out on LinkedIn. However you choose to get in touch, I appreciate it. Hey, don't forget to enter the drawing that I have online to win a $100 gift card by just going to the site and clicking the Enter the Win button and following the instructions. Believe it or not, I've only had two people take me up on this incredible offer, so your odds are pretty high. Well, if you liked last week's show, you're going to love this week as we delve into the history of one of the earliest developers to have success on the really large projects in Latin America. Today on Suncast, we chat with Edgar Arvizu of S-Power. Edgar knows a thing or two about financing projects, and he brings the perspective of not just a banker, but an independent power producer who's closed well over 100 megawatts of utility deals. You see, I want you to learn from the success of those who've gone before you. I'll try to tease out details on market development, as well as tips to improve your approach no matter what market you're in. Without further ado, let's get the show rolling with Edgar Arvizu. Today's episode, we have a look at the finance side of development with Mr. Edgar Arvizu. Edgar is the VP of Latin America for Sustainable Power Group, commonly referred to as S-Power, which is a U.S.-based independent power producer, or IPP, with over 1.2 gigawatts in utility and commercial assets across Europe and North America. S-Power owns assets long-term with a backing of Fertree, a $14 billion private equity fund, Edgar has a diverse background with experience not only in renewables, but venture capital, banking, entrepreneurship, covering a broad range of technology sectors, including solar, energy, biotechnology, software, internet, and payments. Edgar has been at the forefront of development in LATAM for quite some time. I'm glad to welcome him to the show today. Edgar, we're excited to have you on the show and hoping that you can drop some value bombs during our time together. You ready to get this rolling? Yes, I am. Thanks, Nico, for having me. 
My pleasure. Always, always a lot of fun when we get together and have a chat. Absolutely. Hey, before we jump into solar specifically, I like to get a feel for your background and what in particular uh, makes it relevant for in terms of your experience with the region. So could you just give us a feel for what your experience doing business in Latin America is? Was it solar related from the beginning? And perhaps maybe touch a little bit on your heritage as well and and if that plays a role. Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, been been focused in the region and my heart has been in the region since since uh, since the beginning. Uh, you know, I'm a native of, of Tijuana, Mexico, and it's a very unique region you know, where I really grew up biculturally. Literally, I had one, one foot on one side of the border and, and another foot on the other side of the border. And, you know, it, it's a unique place where it kind of enables you to move seamlessly through different cultures. So you kind of grew up bicultural. And then, you know, I kind of moved around. I lived in Spain and then lived in Hong Kong. And, and so now more of a multicultural kind of perspective. You know, I got my start in, in banking. And when I joined this tech bank, uh, you know, when I had first joined, it was completely a U.S. focused bank. And it, during my time there, it went very international, very fast. So, you know, I leveraged my, my international perspective uh, from the beginning. Um, and then, you know, my foray into solar was, you know, during the boom days of, of solar, you know, I think a lot of us, you know, we, we're all kind of byproducts of this growth uh, that's happened in solar right now. You know, you called it the golden age of solar in, in your in your first podcast. And then, and, you know, it's amazing. A lot of us really have built a career here. And I ended up at, at a Spanish firm um, that was very multinational. And so I was able to get a lot of, uh, you know, views into different markets. I was mainly focused in North America. During my time there, I was able to develop projects in not just the U.S., but, you know, we, we got into, I got us into Puerto Rico. Uh, we were getting into Mexico. And, you know, during that time, the company got into Peru, uh, Honduras, and, and Chile as well. So I've been lucky to have, you know, that exposure since the beginning in parallel to, you know, having the exposure in the California market, in the European market, where it's been our core business over the last, you know, six years. Excellent. And that, the the Spanish developer was Gaston, correct? Yeah, correct. Gaston Fuller. Yeah, I recall, uh, as most of uh, the folks know, I was at Trina Solar selling uh, solar panels into the region in Caribbean, Central America, Mexico. And I remember in particular a nearly impossible project that came across my desk that sooner or later ended up becoming a possible project in Puerto Rico. And I'd love to hear some of uh, perhaps some of the things you learned from the Convention Center project in Puerto Rico and maybe talk about your battle scars and perhaps we can expand from there to Peru and Honduras. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I remember that that project very vividly. You know, it's a, it's a five megawatt carport in, in the Convention Center in Puerto Rico. So for anyone that, that flies to Puerto Rico, if you sit on the left side of the plane and you look down as you're landing, you'll see the project. It's, you know, five megawatt carport, the largest in, in the Caribbean. Uh, and it was, you know, we did that project from beginning to end. Uh, we did the origination, negotiated the PPA. But it was, you know, from the beginning, it was, you know, a big lesson as to how to, you know, do things in the Caribbean and LATAM. Uh, we've, we had pretty much, you know, a lot of the things that can happen in this region happen to us. 
the first thing that happened to us is we we closed the deal with a current administration and after signing you know one or two months out you had a new administration come in so you had a new governor so we had a we have to manage through that and then after that we had uh, the island go non-investment grade uh, you know as we were negotiating and closing the tax equity and then you know during construction you have the difficulties of you know operating in, in the Caribbean uh, you know building for you know high-speed winds and and also you know uh, the, the you know the ground and geotechnical reports and so forth so we kind of had a lot of the you know usual things that happen in your Latin America markets happened to us, but we were able to, you know, get through it. And one of the biggest lessons, Nico, is, you know, it, is it is really in every place, but I think it's particularly important in, in Latin regions is that, you know, I don't, I don't see, I don't see Michael Jordans in our industry. It really, truly is a team effort. Uh, takes really a village to mm -hmm. do, you know, five minute well project or a larger project. And there's so many people that are due credit to that project, you know, during, you know, it's, it's, it's whole development phase and construction phase. Everyone really worked really hard. And, and, you know, that was a big, big lesson that you all need to be coordinated. You all need to have a focus and, you know, you need to have a, a goal in mind and not just, you know, the company end, but you need to have a leveled relationship with your counterparty where they feel like it's a team. They feel like we're all in t this together and we're all charging forward to achieve the, the goal. Um, so it was really a team effort from both ends. And, you know, so many people are due credit and the project, you know, got done. It's operating really well, better than expected. And, uh, you know, from that, I think we'll, we'll see more projects uh, come. Excellent. The thing that, you know, the thing that stands out to me on that deal, uh, there, there are technical things that, you know, it's a wonder that your engineering team was able to pull off. However, as we will probably and likely discuss, one of the things that I've discovered is the financial engineering required to pull these projects off, right? It is well known that that, uh, that, that project originally was awarded to a different contractor, Without naming the contractor, it was a very well-known entity who ended up having to back out of the contract. And uh, you and I discussed this about a year and a half ago. If you can, uh, would you mind just talking a little bit about how the way that you structured the deal ultimately is what saved the deal for the government and brought the deal back around to you? Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I'm glad you remember that. Um, you know, that's probably the second largest lesson, um, there, there was another company that was awarded the project originally. And, you know, obviously we were disappointed and, you know, I, I took a couple of days off and actually <laughs> turned my, turned my phone off. And surprisingly, when I came back and turned my phone back on, I had a message that uh, the deal was ours. And, you know, to answer your question, it, you know, we were very detailed in the upfront about pricing viability um, and one of the things you know that we looked at was you know some technical reports that were part of the the package uh, in in the project that were you know related in particular to the construction and the foundation and so forth so we took a very hard look at, at those you know we didn't take the technical documents lightly we really delve in and did our assumptions and really, that's what preserved our pricing viability. 
and you know the pricing that we bid in was the pricing that won and you know there was no change in the pricing during any any t's and c's through the contract uh, but it was really you know being detailed from the beginning and making sure that your pricing is viable uh, you know accounting for how you're going to finance it but you know taking into account all the technical things we really looked uh, soup to nuts on you know what it was going to take to build this thing in the caribbean in that type of foundation yeah Following on that, you know, Puerto Rico is, we'll call it a principality, I think, of the United States. So it's it sort of has covering under the United States, should in theory, certainly at that time, make it easier to finance. Can you help me understand a little bit, we'll stick with this project because I think there are a lot of good lessons, but can you help me understand how you got investors comfortable with financing a, the first five megawatt deal, the first major carport deal? in the Caribbean, in a hurricane zone with, you know, to your credit, uh, the ability to do 20 foot deep foundations uh, was, was, not, was not a small feat. But, but what were the key criteria that your lender was looking for? And did that change? Did you change lenders? How did that deal come together in that on the financial side? Yeah, no, every, everything stayed the same. Um, you know, part of it was timing, Nico. You know, things really took a turn after the deal you know, in a more major way, in a more public <laughs> way. There's, there's, yeah. there's a lot of us in the solar industry have been tracking, you know, there, there are so many PPAs that were signed and that are still kind of sitting on the list as the bondholders do their negotiation and as Puerto Rico sort of negotiates to, to get some help from, from the mainland. So, you know, one of it was timing. Uh, there was still appetite to, to do projects in the island in general. But what really helped that was the fact that we had a pretty you know, structured, well-structured pro project. Um, but, you know, it was with, you know, Gestamp Solar, a very large multinational strong balance sheet company. So there was, there was, you know, a lot of comfort in that as well, having a strong sponsor. So having a strong sponsor and having, uh, you know, a strong project that was, you know, going to build in, 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 you know, very compelling way, you know, got a lot of the, the finance folks comfortable. But, mm -hmm. you know, the other thing is, this was done under Puerto Rico's net energy metering, which we, during the negotiation, had to do a lot of lobbying, let's say, um, uh, because in Puerto Rico, they you know, require you to have batteries, and they originally wanted us to include batteries for a net metered project. Mm. Um, so we, we worked with the administration there, and there's a lot of people there that, that you know, did a lot of the, the work and deserve all the credit. And... Um, they were able to get an exemption for, you know, a portion of projects that would not have to meet that requirement. So this was one of those projects. And you can still go to Puerto Rico and do more net metering projects without, you know, having to install batteries. So a lot of those things is what got the finance folks all comfortable. Excellent. So I, I don't want to take for granted uh, that everyone understands the lingo. So sometimes I'll come back and try to define uh, some terms. Can you uh, can you maybe define what a sponsor is? Sure. Um, uh, basically, it's the long-term owner of the project. You know, in this case, uh, it was you know Hestam Solar, uh, you know, a large multinational company that was acting as the IPP slash sponsor. You know, independent mm -hmm. power producer and sponsor who puts in the equity in the project. Got it. Is the sponsor always the equity? Uh, generally, yes. Okay. Yeah, and, and we won't get into really 
how the investment tax credit and things like that come into play because that typically isn't uh, involved in most of our deals in Latin America. But thanks for thanks for that color, Edgar. That's very helpful. Yep. From uh, from Puerto Rico. Well, you know, even before Puerto Rico, if I'm not mistaken, you guys were involved in one of the first, if not the first, major project in Latin America, in Peru. Correct. Yeah, that was uh, yeah. Estamp Solar uh, partner up with a another Spanish developer uh, in Peru, and it was uh, part of the first auction. Actually, technically mm-hmm. the second auction, and uh, they were awarded uh, uh, a couple of PPAs there, totaling forty megawatts. Excellent! Wow, For, and those are built, correct? Those are built, uh, operational. Uh, they were funded by OPEC, the mm, the Overseas Private Investment Corporation. Correct. Mm-hmm. Excellent. What, um, so we, you know, it's, it's interesting in the industry, uh, we've f- been following this trend in, in many ways established through the Peru, uh, auction or tender process, right? So there's really a couple of ways that mi- pr- principally the auctions are held. Either you do what Peru did, which is a reverse auction, we can talk a little bit about that, or you do kind of what Panama recently did, which is an open uh, call for power bids, and the auction essentially is done in a closed envelope format where you open up a, a closed bid and you don't get to change your pricing, right? So uh, it, are there other formats that you're familiar with currently operating in Latin America? Yeah, uh, gosh, you know, I, I find the whole region very fascinating. Um <laughs> Because uh, I, I, this gets this gets right into what you do at at S Power now, which is really focused on the utility scale projects, and by and large, those come through some form of auction or some some form of government government power call. Exactly, correct? exactly. Yeah. Maybe so. Maybe I'd like if we could focus a little bit on that and what you've how you've seen that market evolve. Maybe what you guys learned early in Peru that that serves as a fabric for your helping. Uh, your company and, and others and even lenders get comfortable with tenders as they're currently being produced in, in Latin America. But I'll leave it to you as how you see fit to describe it. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I guess one way to think about it is, uh, you know, a lot of us are in this industry, got into it, you know, maybe less than a decade ago, if not a decade. But we're still in the early chapters of the solar book, if you will. And once I extrapolate that to our LATAM regions, we're earlier in the chapters. And I find mm-hmm. this book completely fascinating. Um, and I'll, I'll get into, you know, some of the reasons why. But we, you know, are seeing uh, uh, the entrance of solar in, you know, in an unsubsidized way in some regulated markets, but mostly unregulated markets into regions that have, you know, load growth and a need and population growth, but have dynamic economies. And so it's it's a very interesting context for renewables and for solar in particular, given the cost curve trend and, and where, you know, we see it going. But if you see the early auctions, um, you know, Peru was amazing. They one day said, look, we want to have renewables. And they did an auction. They had, uh, you know, we're going to procure wind, we're going to procure solar, we're going to procure, you know, these technologies. And they really took a stand. They were the, one of the first countries in Latin America to stand up and say, look, we want to procure renewables. Now, you know, Latin America, you know, has gone through a lot of 
you know, a lot of ups and downs in, in, in the last few decades. Um, but, you know, recently it's been, you know, the last few decades, there's been a lot of hydro. Um, now it's starting to gasify. You know, Mexico's looking at gas and Peru's looking at gas. Um, Chile has had its ups and downs with different technologies. They have a pretty diverse uh, energy mix. And, you know, to, to pick up on Chile, they, they had a first auction in 2014. And that was an interesting time because a lot of what Chile had done before that, I believe there was, you know, two to three hundred megawatts that were financed and in construction, if not operational, by the time the tender happened. And a lot of that was financed by the multilaterals, right? So that was one form of financing. Multilateral is like a, a is a. Can you explain what multilateral is? Yeah, it could be like an OPEC, an IFC, an IDB. You know, the mm-hmm. International Finance Corporation, Interdevelopment Bank. Um, you know, these banks that are into getting into nations to help them develop. Mm, okay, so development banks. Exactly, development. Got it. Okay. And. Um, these are not, you know, local development banks because a lot of times the countries have local development banks as well. Uh, right, like Cabe, which is in Central America. And, okay. Exactly. So, you know, come here come these tenders and this first tender that came, you know, Chile is a completely unregulated market. And, you know, these tenders were to buy, I'm going to put it in simple terms, is basically to buy a block. They don't buy your production curve. So when you do sign up to these power purchase agreements that come out of the tender, um, you know, you're selling a, a block of energy. So your intermittency, so points where you can't deliver, uh, mm-hmm. having to go to the market, buy energy and resell it. Right. So you have uh, a significant amount of exposure still on your power purchase agreement. Well, thanks for uh, unpacking a bit more how the tender process has evolved. And, of course, we've got the largest tender opportunity, I think, in our recent history coming up very soon, right, for Mexico. Do you want to talk about that now? Yeah. You know, um, all eyes are on the tender, Um, you know, and the the reason the tender has so much attention is because, you know, uh, Mexico had a lot of attention uh you know before the reform because there were you know very there was very favorable uh rules to do development there uh that was you know the first thing and and the other thing is there were you know interesting uh energy rates to to do ppas but you know as as you talked about in in previous podcasts uh you know that world has sort of flipped around so mexico moves into this new tender um not a lot of information and details have been published yet. Um, the mm-hmm. wholesale market rules are out, so you can actually do a lot of reading and a lot of understanding. And you know, I would encourage people that are active in that market to look at the detail, flip through the pages, go to where the interesting things are. You know, the the Sener there, which is the Energy Ministry S E R S E N E R, published a a report that also gives you know sort of their prediction of energy generation needs. Uh, for the next 15 years. But if you look beyond and you look for the important information, there's there's interesting information regarding uh, transmission, uh, load growth, and where the needs are, where there could be congestion. And a lot of that's going to come into play into the tenders. So having that grid knowledge as you 
form your bids for the tender is going to be really important because this tender, you know, as, as Adam James mentioned, I mean, this is, this is going to be, you're competing with all technologies. It's not going to be just a solar tender or a renewable tender. You know, you're going to have uh, co-generation and anyone that has a project that can participate in the tender and qualify, you know, has the ability to qualify. Absolutely. Do you see, obviously this tender is going to be a, an inflection point for solar in Mexico. You said something very interesting at InterSolar when we hosted the event there that I'd like to reflect on. You have a number in your mind for where the Mexico market can be from a total gigawatt perspective. Yeah. And that isn't necessarily aligned with what we hear from the Mexico government. Can we talk a little bit about as a developer, how you can assess the market from a potential size perspective and what maybe the color of the government influence says or does not say about where you're going to spend your time and your and your resources? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, when I look at what the government predicts and what they think they need and what they think is doable, you know, they they're looking at roughly 30 gigawatts of natural gas in the next 15 years in Mexico. 30 gigawatts, you know, that's, that's a right. lot. Um, <laughs> they think they're going to have about 12 gigawatts of wind, jumping from about 2 gigawatts today. Um, they think they'll do 1 to 2 gigawatts of solar. I have sized the market in Mexico at about 3 gigawatts. But, you know, going back to my earlier comment about, you know, the, sol the solar book and how we're writing it, you know, all of us right now and moving through the chapters, we... we you know, part of it, we, we did it in the U.S. You know, we, you know, if you look at California, where it started and where it is now, um, how it's jumped and have wanted to do more, have seen that it works. Power plants are operating there. People understand the grids, the integration. In Mexico, we need to push for more. There's an incredible need for energy. There are so many strong fundamentals in the, in the country that we as an industry really need to work together to prove that solar is here to stay and is here for the long term and it can have substantial benefits to the country and you know to off takers and to the market that they're creating i mean the, the shift that mexico is going through right now should not be taken lightly i mean they're they, in a year they're flipping to a wholesale market um, mm -hmm. you know so they, and there's a lot of work that's going into that and now they're doing these tenders they're privatizing the, the former utility, the utility is now going to be doing development. You know, they've made announcements they're going to do developments in wind, they're doing developments in geothermal. They have a renewables group. Uh, so, you know, there's competition. And there are also a lot of companies that have now started to register and open up companies that will become, you know, resellers of energy. There's going to be distribution companies. So the landscape is completely changing completely changing. So understanding these dynamics as you go and play into the market you know, are crucial so that you know that when you are bidding these large scale projects, um, you know, you know in what context you're you're going to be uh, bidding them because there will be options for you to sell the energy. I mean, that's the whole key that our industry depends on, right? I mean, one of the right. challenges in Chile is, we, you know, it's hard to do PPAs. One of the challenges in Mexico is hard to do PPAs. So we all like these auctions, but in a wholesale market, you know, there could be a lot of opportunities as well. Edgar, from, uh, from a development perspective with the banking background, going into Latin America is not always easy. 
because you got to figure out where the money is going to come from, right? You have the privilege and the position that you uh, that you hold in, in the industry that you are a buyer and you are a long-term asset owner. That notwithstanding, you still bring, you, you want to lever the project, get as much uh, outside financing in the form of debt as possible. For Latin America, so what are what are some of the key fundamentals that you see across the board that banks are looking for when they look to finance projects? And we can talk here about the um, the exposure to um, to the, to exchange risk and and how how to mitigate that. But what are some of the fundamentals? You know, three, four, five things that every uh, finance institution is looking for. That as a developer, you have to really keep under close watch while you're trying to determine how your project moves forward. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I think there's some general terms we, we can touch on, but you know, I will uh, emphasize that each market is so different, uh, Nico, uh, and it has its, its particulars. Um, you know, if you take the example of Chile, you know, you, you have about a billion dollars of debt that has been funded by, you know, the, the entities that I mentioned earlier, the, the development banks, mm-hmm. you know, into a lot of merchant projects. And merchant is selling wholesale into the spot market where you're not guaranteed day to day that uh, what your price is going to be. Correct. Okay. So, you know, they, they, they came in and funded a lot of these early projects, you know, roughly 500 megawatts. And, and I'm taking the example of Chile. But now, you know, sort of they've reached their cap, you know, they each development bank has an allocation per country. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you saw um, there was a, a, a another IPP, US IPP that just funded a project in Chile with commercial banks. So you saw the first commercial bank deal and a lot of these banks were European banks. So, mm-hmm. you know, looking at how you funded in Chile in 2013, 2014 is one story and how you finance it in 2015 and onward with commercial banks is a whole different story because it changes, you know, and also depends, uh, you know, how the banks fund. Are they funding in dollars or do they have to get other currency? But, you know, the tenors can change. The this mm-hmm. Tenor, what does tenor mean? Tenor means, you know, the, the amount of time, the number of years they'll give you a loan for relative to your project uh, life or to your uh, power purchase agreement uh, term. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but but going back in general, when you're going into Latin, Latin America countries, you know, I think in the last 18 months, you have had almost all the major markets, if you take, you know, Brazil, Uruguay, Peru, Mexico, Chile, currencies have, you know, gone down 20 to 40% in a lot of the countries. You know, particularly mm-hmm. Brazil, where things are, are in big turmoil. Um, and, you know, the countries have droughts, uh, so their energy costs are in flux. Um, but when you look at getting into the region, you know, there's, you know, one thing is understanding the currency fluctuations and then that's going to cost. It's either going to come in the form of, you know, swaps or, you know, if the lender will do that, you know, then then it's going to come in, in in the form of of the term sheet. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also uh, you know ca- counterparty risk. Um, you know, in, in these countries, uh, you have to make sure you assess that. You know, the rule of law and, and and your counterparty from your power purchase agreement are they you know 
when you're looking into as a sponsor as an equity investor into these countries you take a long-term horizon you know you 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 ask yourself can i do business in this country for 20 years mm-hmm. you know it's not like you go in and you say okay one or two years uh you really take a long-term horizon um you know political regulatory uh, uh rule of law fund repatriation you know you take your money in so how are you going to take it back uh-huh. Uh, security is another issue, you know, um, you know, building in Nicaragua and Honduras, you know, is not the same as building in Chile. It's not the same as building in, in other parts. Um, you know, the role of, of power brokers is also important. You know, these, these, uh, these Latin America countries have, you know, unique cultures and they all vary. Um, uh, but you know, a lot of times there's, uh, you know, you know, especially European and, and, in U.S. companies who are, you know, have read a lot of articles about LATAM and have these great expectations. But once you get into the country, I mean, you really have to understand how to do business there, you know, how things move, how um, decisions are made, um, you know, having local teams or and or a local partner that can really give you that knowledge base is also important. And I mentioned those things because as you're approaching it to invest in you know, when we look at going into a country, we also look at, you know, what kind of banks are we going to have to mm-hmm. be there with? Because they're going to be in the projects for, you know, a long period of time well. So we get into the legal documentation and then we get into, you know, the terms and make sure that they're all copacetic with how we like to structure the project. And, you know, knowing knowing how to do business there, knowing how to structure your equity and knowing how banks structure their um, financing is, you know, compasses all the things that I mentioned previously. You know, kind of yeah, risk, yeah. Risk, 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 we, risk, you, you you mentioned power brokers. What do you mean by power brokers in this scenario? Yeah, you know, um, I guess in the U.S. they might call them consultants. Um, hmm. <laughs> um, you know, there's there's some countries where you know they you see a foreigner go in there. They they want to do a deal and. You know, they think that in six months or eight months, they'll be in and out and close a deal and get, you know, double digit returns and, and that's it. Um, you know, you really have to go there and partner up with, you know, the, the people that are from the country that, you know, um, you know, are, are likely to invest. They can they can help you uh, navigate, you know, some of the politics and, you know, some of the local uh, dynamics that you might have. You know, it could be anywhere from where you're located on a site, you know, somebody that could help you, you know, with the community support and so forth, all the way to, um, you know, dealing with, you know, Congress, the Senate to help uh, mm. to help uh, manage through, you know, barriers that governments may put up, you know. Like- I get it. I get it. So and on a, on a typical deal, are you do you find that you're engaging one or multiple power brokers in that in that regard? Yeah, you know, in in many cases, a lot of people engage one or two, but you know, in other cases, you can have a local team um, that understands all that, and in other cases, right. you can have a local partner that you know perhaps is a large IPP that you know has, has been there and and done it, and you can rely on them, and that's sort of an extension of your team, right? Right, right. If I'm not mistaken, that's how you guys did it in Honduras, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. The, very, very insightful. Thanks so much for that. Um, I want to dig in a little bit 
on sort of the, the horizon, what's on the horizon we all see coming. And it's sort of uh, folkloric almost in our industry right now that storage just isn't financeable. Is that true? And what do you see? How do you see that evolving? Yeah. You know, it's curious in Latin America. Uh, there is a lot of interest in storage and there are a lot of places where you would think it makes a lot of sense. You know, maybe it's peak shaving because, uh, you know, uh, demand charges are, are high in some places or even Chile where you can, you know, co-locate things and you can give 24-7 power. But we are way behind on the policy down there. Thing mm -hmm. Storage is not even recognized in some of the laws. So, you know, you read generation, but storage is not named. So there's actually a lot of policy work that still needs to get done in those places for you to be able to get multiple revenue steam revenue streams or, or or even sometimes where you might have sort of you know an understanding that it's in the law sometimes it's gray area so you try to make it black uh, hmm. and so we're we're having to do a little bit of work on that end in Latin America for for energy storage we're a little bit behind on the policy down there most people are relying on, you know, the economic story. But once you dig in and you actually, you know, go talk to the interconnection and the utilities and then you go further up and go read the laws, um, you know, we need to we need to make sure it's included. Parting question on storage. Is it a cost issue that makes it non-financeable today or is it simply just that the integration into the regional uh, grids is what keeps financing at bay. What do you what do you see there, or, or an interplay of the two, maybe? Yeah, I mean, if if, um, if you're talking energy storage in general, um, you know, you're you're starting to see. I think we're at the cusp of making the first few behind the meter energy storage projects financeable. Um, you know, to this day, you haven't seen you know commercial paper on on large scale energy storage projects. You know, you you can you can probably count those uh, uh, that are out in the country or or even the world, um, but we are in the cusp, and part of it is because you know we're crossing the technology chasm. Banks are getting more comfortable. You're getting bigger companies that are stepping up and backing their technology. You know, as far as warranties, as far as you know, just uh, backing up a product, they can give you more comfort. The the we, where we've been lacking is making an economic case to put energy storage where you're able to close, let's call it a PPA, and you have, you know, visible, you know, good runway in your cash flow to be able to, you know, project finance something on top of it. You are seeing California taking, you know, pioneering steps to help with that. So now you've got, you know, PPAs with SCE. Now you've got PPAs with PG&E. You know, mm -hmm. the counterparties that banks are used to working with and a lot of the companies working on those projects, you know, are household names that are already doing, you know, renewable energy deals with the banks. So so it sounds like it sounds like so many other uh, elements. We're going to see a whole lot more uh, production or excuse me, a whole lot more result in some of our more developed markets like uh, perhaps Germany and the United States from a financing perspective on these types of technologies before we can really roll them out with any momentum in Latin America. Yeah, I, I agree. Okay. I mean, uh, just to give you an example, I mean, in Mexico, uh, I, I've been on a couple of panels this year with some banks, and it, I, I've been surprised at some of the questions and comments. They, to some degree, see wind is safer than solar. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. and I just jaw drop, you know, a lot of times. Right. So, you know, but it's changing, but, you know, just to give you. Yeah. Well, thankfully we don't have a season where the sun stops working. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, with that, let me switch on to a segment on tips and tools. And thank you so much for really providing a lot of depth and color in your experience in Latin America. Edgar, I'm curious, could you name perhaps a couple of books or blogs, tools, tips, things that you've discovered, maybe you've created on your own that have impacted the way you understand the market and share why they have why they help you work and, and function better? I have a big stack of books on my nightstand and I'm, and I'm being literal. Uh, the, you know, the one that's on top right now that I'm reading is uh, Why Nations Fail. And hmm. It is a very insightful book and actually gives you a lot of interesting history on Latin America and why why it is the way it is compared to the developed world. Uh, so it's a very interesting book. But, you know, I, I in the last couple of years, I've really gone into, uh, you know, podcasts. I'm a, just like you, I'm a podcast junkie. And, <laughs> you know, I listen to TED Radio Hour a lot. Uh, and, and, you know, people that are interesting. I, I love to listen to a lot of these people and get a lot of insights. One of the things uh, that, I, that I follow is, um, a website called Gapminder. Uh, Gapminder. Gapminder, and it's by uh, um, a, a professor that his name is Hans Rosling, and he does. Mm-hmm. This, he has even has a, a tool on the website where you can actually plot uh, a lot of data points about the world, whether it's like uh-huh. expectancy, uh, population, uh, CO two emissions, wow. you name it, and it's a great tool and. You know, as far as big picture and thinking about where we're going, you know, I love spending time with those with that type of data. You know, was, you know, we're we're in a time where we're in a energy challenge, right? Um, and, and you, you know, and us in Latin America are facing that challenge right on because we've got these countries that continue to emerge, uh, absolutely, and we're going through a transformation. And our population is is, I mean, it's we're about seven billion. We're going to be nine billion, you know, twenty fifty. CO2 emissions continue to, to go up. Uh, you know, there's negotiations in Germany today and, and next month they'll be in Paris. Um, you know, thinking about these, these things in a big way, you know, looking at poverty, looking at uh, uh, energy needs, look at how the world is, is going to develop. You know, doing some of that thinking, actually, I find completely uh, fascinating. And there's a great tool on the website that people can play with. Uh, thanks for that insight into some of the things that are molding the way you think, Edgar. What one thing do you do consistently that yields the greatest impact or result in your life? Um, I'm a creature of habit, uh, uh, and I consistently uh, I'm a I, I became a, a long distance uh, trail runner last year, so I got into this whole you know hundred running very long distances. And that's something that I do a lot. And you have to put in, you know, a lot of time, a lot of effort. Um, but it actually gives me more than I give it. Uh, um, and personally and professionally, it's just helped me a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, we we live, you know, very in a very dynamic. We work in a very dynamic profession where things you know, are, are always moving, you know, and, you know, some people in the Bay Area call it the, the solar coaster. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're, you know, sometimes we're up, sometimes we're down. 
and and really you know running for me has been sort of an outlet and and um, you know also per personally it's, it's been a great habit to have you know I, I, I I've been more adamant about getting rest and my nutrition and you know it just has made me feel a lot better and it allows me to thrive a lot more at work so it's been it's been wonderful I love that we're gonna jump into uh, a section called hot or not I'll name a market you take 10 seconds or so, give us your answer. Is it hot or not? Feel free to, feel free to provide a little color. And I'm not going to change it up, actually, from, from the one I did uh, with Adam. So uh, if you've listened to that episode, it's probably unfair priming, but <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll jump in there. Good? I'll, that sounds great. Yeah, I look forward to it. And I, I, I'll caveat <laughs> that it's from the perspective of, of a U.S. IPP. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So hot or not? Argentina? Not. El Salvador? Not. Panama. Medium. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Tepid. <laughs> Jamaica. Not. Brazil. Hot. Mexico. Hot. Chile. Hot. I'm going to throw one more in. Colombia. To be hot. Mm-hmm. Okay. I feel I feel much the same way you do. Excellent. <laughs> so excellent. One quick thing before we wrap up. Uh how could folks reach you? Is there is there a good way? Are you on Twitter? What's the best way for folks to reach out if they wanted to yeah. get to know you? Yeah, I'm I'm definitely on Twitter. Uh, it's at Edgar Arbisu. Uh, that's mm -hmm. you know, great way to reach me. Um Okay. Excellent. Any any other way? Just uh, I can give out my email as well. Sure, go it's for it. E A R V I Z U at spower.com. Okay, and spower is just all one word. Exactly. Got it. All right. Let's end today, as we always do, with a bold prediction. Edgar, what one thing do you see happening in the market that perhaps nobody else is tracking? What do you see in your crystal ball? Ha, huh, good one. Um, you know, I've learned not to make predictions, <laughs> and the ones that you do make are the ones that you are committed to. And in the words of uh, Ralph Waldo, the, uh, the famous poet, mm -hmm. once you make a decision, you, the universe conspires to make it happen. So I am committing to renewable energy in Latin America and I believe that we will get uh, to where we want it to be in, in Latin America and, and the globe. Um, so I'll stick to that because I, I hate to mention predictions that never come true. <laughs> well, it's been a blast having you on the show, Edgar. It's always a lot of fun to dig into to your insight and your brain, uh, which you, you just have such a broad spectrum and plethora of knowledge about the industry. Thank you for sharing from that knowledge today. And uh, we'll hope hope to have you back on the show at some time in the future. You have a lot to share. Yeah, no, thanks for thanks for having me. And congratulations on, you know, starting this. It's it's great for the industry. It's great for, you know, the talent that we really need. Uh, Got to rub in more people. And, you know, people listen to this that are out in the trenches. They're really know what it's about you know people gotta take expectation to reality and this this is definitely going to help uh, a lot of listeners 
I enjoyed today's chat with Edgar, did you? There were a lot of good tips in there on preparing for the upcoming tenders in the region and making sure you know what your banking partners are looking for in a deal. If you learned something today, why not go over to Twitter and give Edgar a shout out, at Edgar Arvizu. You can also keep up with Suncast during the week by following me on Twitter, at Nico Mayo, N-I-C-O-M-E-O. And if you did enjoy the show, please consider sharing that love by heading over to iTunes and subscribing. While you're there, consider leaving us a rating and review. The feedback really does help. If you have never subscribed, rated, or reviewed a podcast before, not to fear. I've laid out detailed instructions on the website. You can find them at www.mysuncast.com. While you're there, you can check out other episodes and subscribe to our newsletter, where you'll be notified by email when each new episode of Suncast is ready to download. You can also get entered for a chance to win that $100 gift card I mentioned in the beginning to the online retailer of your choice. Click the Enter to Win button for details. Hey, one last thing, amigo. If you're interested in learning more about that potentially hot Colombia market Edgar mentioned, you really should consider this opportunity to attend one of the leading solar events in the Central America region. It's called El Futuro Solar Centro America y Colombia, and it's taking place in Panama City, Panama, on November 19th and 20th, where I will actually be participating as a speaker. The conference, which is part of the larger solar PV trade mission, will bring together over 150 companies and really shouldn't be missed if you have any ambitions for business in the region. For more information, just go to mysuncast.com forward slash EFS, as in El Futuro Solar. Oh, and enter the secret code SUNCAST during registration for a 10% discount. My gift to you, my friends. It's been amazing hanging out with you again this week. Please tune in again next week for another episode of SunCast, and thanks for listening. Until next time, stay informed, my friend, and stay tuned.